I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Uh, uh, all right. Um, okay, so I'll lay, a little bit of a lay of the land here. Uh, before we get to today's recording, I think uh, we here at Sick Boy Podcast would be doing you a disservice if we didn't take a moment before the recording to touch on uh, the the news that was released uh, last Monday, a week ago from today, about uh, the latest surrounding Trikafta and uh, Trikafta becoming a possibility of, of being approved here in Canada. Um, today's episode, which I am so fucking elated to get to, is with our friend Steph, Steph, you are with me right now. I am. I'm here. <laughs> and uh, and we thought we would we would take a moment to kind of like um, give a bit of an explanation to folks about w- the news that came out last Monday. So I, I put it. I put a story out on my Instagram, basically reading a tweet that had come out from CF Canada. I was very emotional because it was a really big day, um, and I had a lot of people that had messaged me. That were saying like, oh my god, this is a, like this is amazing. What does this mean? Does this mean that like you know some people were like, does this a cure for CF? Uh, is this <laughs> like does this mean um, does this mean that, like the, the, yeah yeah does this mean that you get like that you're getting the drug like this year? Like what what does this mean? And <clears throat> to be honest with you, I don't know. I don't know what this means. What I do know is that it it's a monumental step in the right direction. Yet. There are many more steps to go yes. in terms of getting this drug Trikafta into the hands of the people who need it, like myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and although Trikafta is not a cure, it's it's pretty it's it's like the next best thing. It's it's as yeah, it's close just, as we can get to right now. It's life saving. <clears throat> I mean, I still have CF. You can hear that, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so That's it's right. definitely life saving. It's not a cure. Uh, you and I will still have CF until the cure is here, but this mm-hmm. will make it a lot easier for us to stay alive while waiting. Yeah. And Steph, for people who don't know, Steph was the first Canadian that was granted special access to Trikafta. Um, and we go into this in, in our, our conversation with Steph. So we'll, we'll save, we'll save that for the recording, but can you, Steph, I know that you've done a ton of fucking work, like a, a I don't want, I, I want to really stress this, a ton of fucking work with CF Get Loud, alongside CF Canada, as a, as a huge advocate to, to push to get this drug um, approved or sent, at least sent in for approval from mm-hmm. Vertex to Canada. Can you explain to us, um, what's the current situation? Where are we at? And what does this mean, this announcement that was made last week? Yeah, so uh, we've been fighting for Vertex to submit this drug to Canada and for Canada to do their job and get it into the hands of Canadians. That's this miracle medicine, right? Sorry. Um, 
the thing is, is every time we speak to our government officials, they say, well, you know, Vertex hasn't submitted the drug yet. Well, what can we do? And they just kind of throw their hands up. And it's, I, I mean, I expect them to do a lot. I expect them to, uh, to raise their voice as the Canadian government saying, let's get this into the hands of Canadians. But truly, now that Trikafta has been submitted to Health Canada, it's not approved, it has been submitted. Uh, very early stages of submissions at that uh, we can now say, all right, Canada, do your thing. Process mm. this as fast as possible. Break history, break records, get this through fast. Canada does not move fast when it comes to approvals. Our government is slow. Mm. Um, there's not really a lot of incentive for them to move fast, but I hope that Canadians' lives lost are enough incentive for them to move fast. And I, I think it's important to note here that <clears throat> this drug, Trikafta, it it is available in other countries across the world. It's available in the U.S. It's available in the U.K. Mm-hmm. And from what I gather, correct me if I'm wrong, when when this drug was sent through for approval in those countries, it was actually processed quite quickly. Record-breaking. Um, yeah. So you know, they, they saw this opportunity and they said, yeah, this is, a, this is clearly a, a miracle drug. Let's get this thing through as fast as we can so that – the 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 patients, the people living with cystic fibrosis who need it can get it quick. Yeah, I mean, if Trump can do it, we can do it, right? God, if Trump can do it, I fucking hope we can do it. Jesus. Three months it took. It was unprecedented. It was, they used three different agencies to put push it through extremely mm. fast. We are hoping in Canada that it will break a record. Uh, that's yeah. our expectations. Yeah. Um, but uh, we know that we've been disappointed in the past, but we just yeah. need to be cautiously optimistic we know that this was a huge win and we have right to celebrate you know the last 24 48 hours we've all been crying happy tears Mm. but let's just you know for our kids sake for the sea of kids let's just be mindful of what words we're saying to them Mm. it is not approved yet i have every faith it's going to be approved you know it's going to be approved there's no way they're going to deny this with its efficacy and how much of a breakthrough it is but it has not been approved yet, and we have a big battle ahead of us. Once it gets through Health Canada, well, then we have to fight from a provincial level. So we have to make mm. sure every single province gets on board and funds this, because if it's in our country and no one can afford it or there's no path to access, it might as well not be here at all. Yeah, what's the point? Yeah. Yeah, so so again, <clears throat> you know, I know, I know a lot of people out there who – who might not be aware of of the the you know the situation or or all because there are a lot of moving pieces here and it can be quite confusing. But essentially, the, you know, the way to break it down is that a week and a half ago, Vertex, the company that made this this fucking beautiful drug, uh, had not yet submitted the drug to be approved by Health Canada. Health Canada had not uh, made it very attractive for Vertex to send it in for approval. That's why these two giant these two giants were mm-hmm. were sort of at a standstill. And it's so, still not attractive, though. To be fair, it's still not attractive. Right. They're just That's saying right. we can't sit here and let people wait any longer. So they're just moving forward. Nothing has changed to make it more attractive. Yeah, they're just kind of saying, "F it, let's do this." Because yeah. I think that uh, you know they do have a Canadian corporation. They have a Canadian office and. They're fighting for Canadians, and they don't, they don't want to see us suffer any longer, and they know this, they've seen the studies. They've seen mm-hmm. the impact. Mm-hmm. So, so one of these two giants took the step, which was yep. Vertex, to actually submit 
submit the drug through for approval, even though even though the guidelines that are currently in place for uh, drugs, you know, particularly surrounding rare diseases, is not an, an attractive one for companies like Vertex. Now it's now we find ourselves in a place where it's Canada's job to step up to the table and to to accept the approval and actually push this through. And then once we get across that, like you said, it's like then it then it becomes work on the provincial level. Mm-hmm. Then it becomes then like again the, the like this is so fucking great and amazing and like it moved me to tears and moved mm-hmm. lots and lots of people to tears. But you kind of got to take it with a grain of salt because it's again it's like this is just one step in many many steps and although this first step is a seemed like uh, almost a, an insurmountable one a couple of weeks ago um it has it is a step that has been taken and so there's like so much room to celebrate yet there's still so much fucking work to be done so well what the what the cf get loud team wants to do now though is really crank up education people need to understand mm. what we've just spoke about people under need need to understand that uh, I know we get into the episode, but this PMPRB that we spoke about, it's still there. That's still a watchdog that could shut it down. We still don't have a rare disease strategy in Canada. So there's a lot of things that are, um, you know, not making this path an easy one. So we'll just have to wait and watch and keep the momentum going. We can't stop getting loud. We like this whole story that you're going to hear in this episode is about the power of community. It wasn't me in Get Loud. There's a team and there's people all across Canada. There's the CF Canada doing this work too. And everyone's working together right now. So we need to make sure that we keep this incredible machine going that we've created. Yeah. And and if you're a listener to the show and if you've been a fan, even if you're not a fan and uh, you hate the show, (laughs) uh, just do me a fucking favor. Like, this is an episode worth sharing. This is a conversation worth sharing. This is like this this conversation that we are going to throw to is one that is most certainly going to help people understand the the value that is within this this drug and how much of a fucking crazy difference it can make to so many people's lives across Canada. Um also I just want to say this coming Feel Good Friday, on Friday, we speak to um, we speak to a researcher out of Dalhousie who put forward a study that was a jaw dropping study about the efficacy of Trikafta. The stats that came out of that that study are <clears throat> like truly astounding, and we we go through the ins and outs of that. So, like this week, buckle up it's a it's a <laughs> Trikafta week. We're going head first into it. And uh, without further ado, I hope you enjoy our conversation with Steph Fabers. Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick. This week's guest is Stephanie Stavros. She has cystic fibrosis and was the first Canadian granted access to the miracle drug Trikafta. Let's talk about it. Um, this is going to be really fun because here's the thing. Uh, this is familiar territory for us. Uh, we have sat down with you, Steph, not too long ago. It was in the midst of, uh, of coronavirus, uh, when it was really fucky. 
even here in Nova Scotia, it's it's kind of calm here right now. But it's it's I mean, where you're you're living, it's still kind of fucking wild. Yeah. Uh, but in the throes of COVID, uh, during the quarantine, we did a live show, a virtual live show. Mm-hmm. It was a, a bitch in good time. And Steph, you were our our live show guest, which was really fun. So much fun. So much fun that we were like, we got to get her back on so that we can like get her story out to the masses because, you know, it was a select, uh, an exclusive, exclusive bunch that tuned into that live show, including all of our patrons. Hello, patrons. We love you. Um, but Steph, I'm, I'm really excited to have you back on the show uh, because we're going to talk about something that is very close to home. Uh, Sorry, guys. I'm just I. imagining that I have CF today. Yeah, I'm I feeling mean, it, Taylor. I'm feeling it. <laughs> let's let's all dive into the pool of CF. Uh, Steph, you live with cystic fibrosis. I live with cystic fibrosis. Taylor, you may or may not today, now have today. cystic fibrosis. <laughs> uh, you have a really interesting CF story. I think there's a lot of parallels between you and me, mm-hmm. but also a lot of uh, a lot of really unique. Uh, like everyone who's sick with whatever, everyone's everyone has their own story to tell. That's right, um, yeah. You are, how old are you, Steph? 36. I almost answered that like a five-year-old. I'm like, I'm almost 37. <laughs> I'm 36. 36 and a half. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my birthday's uh, next month. Oh, well, my birthday's November 15th. I was going to say, like, how almost 37 do you have to be to say that you're almost 37? Like, as a 36-year-old, I imagine that you'd have to be pretty close. But I mean, that's pretty good. Within the month. month. Within yeah. the month. month that's within fine. the month, yeah. yeah. You're like 95% of the way. <laughs> um, uh, so you're, thir- you're we'll just say for, for sake of ease, you're 37. Um, and, uh, and, and first of all, congratulations, because that's like, you know, that's kind oh, that's of... Fun. That's, That's why I'm old. bragging. That's why I'm bragging. I'm like, I'm almost 37. It's a, yeah, yeah, it's a thing to celebrate. You're an old-ass woman. Congrats. I'm an old-ass woman, yeah. Uh, and, uh, and, and one of the things that I thought was really, really fucking interesting when we first originally spoke, um, you, you didn't really come out of the CF closet until quite late in your right. life. Um, no. when, did you, when did you kind of like publicly start to allow people uh, in on the the knowledge that you actually lived with a, a chronic and genetic lung disease? Well, it was a closed, locked door, uh, light off inside, until <laughs> uh, I was 34. Right. And then I did a massive Facebook post, you know, as people do. As, <laughs> old, as old women do, that's true. They do. <laughs> you old ladies do love Facebook. <laughs> I, I know, I didn't do like a cool TikTok dance, be like, what's up? <laughs> I have cystic fibrosis, but no, I was deep, deep, deep in the, you know, in that closet. And, uh, like my, I've been married for over 10 years. My in-laws didn't know. Um, whoa, whoa, really? Yeah. Like really deep in the closet. Holy shit. So deep. I used, I used to have nightmares that people would come to my house and see medication out. Either wow. they'd see a nebulizer on the counter or they'd see anything. <laughs> I, um, I used to work uh, while I was in the hospital, take meetings. Uh, I just, I did wow. everything to try to, I really, it was, it was a little messed up, to be honest. Yeah. Like now that I'm past it. I mean, uh, it, it's, it's funny because I was there. I, mm-hmm. I went through that, but I went through that as like a, a, a 12 year old, like a 13 year old, you know what well, I mean? Well, you like, mature faster than I do. I don't know, yeah, Jeremy. Yeah, I, but, yeah, I guess but so. But how do you, you know? how do you so. do that? Because I know that like CF is, is like, you know, can be considered an invisible illness. For like, some, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, you can walk around and, and, and a lot of people who live with cystic fibrosis, you wouldn't be able to tell on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. But like, if you knew somebody, I mean, like I couldn't imagine 
being friends with Jeremy and how how difficult it would be for him to hide that he has CF from Taylor and I because like you don't like think you said, I could like, hide just, it. I, I don't think you could hide it. Like just being over and, and seeing the, the medication. Do you or find like, it offensive at Jeremy? Challenge. Accept it. <laughs> but but I, mo- I more so mean like even in the sense of like if you're chronically coughing all the time and you're not like a smoker. But that's like, the it, thing. I feel I like that would kind of. But that's the thing. I don't know about you, Jeremy, but I have this ability that if I'm out in public, you know, we're out at a restaurant, we're out somewhere. I just, I don't really cough. And then the minute I get in the car, it's just like it erupts. Yeah. And I'm like literally throwing up outside of the car because I've just suppressed so many coughs. Mm. You know, and like what? pills and so, stuff for eating. Like you take, do you take enzymes for your for I food? I do. I think this shows you how compliant I was. Ooh, like, so yeah. did you just have like a routine <laughs> of, you know, if you were eating with people, you'd, you, would you like, would you dip off and... And, That's the easy part. And that like like pills, hiding or? your medication, hiding your medication. I, I mean, and I don't want to speak for you, Steph, but like for me, that was the easy part. Like you can you can be very stealthy and very sneaky with, t- even though I take you know upwards of 40, 45 pills a day. Yeah, same you here. can you like you don't you can do that without anyone's knowledge. The amount of times that even today where I'm in public and like you know like eating or whatever, or like Bridie will say, did you, did you take your pills? And I'll be like, yeah, fucking. Yeah, but Jared, the amount of times that we've been together and you've been like, fuck, I don't have my pills. Well, if I was hiding it, <laughs> I, if I was hiding it, I'd go, yeah, I'd go in my head, fuck, I don't have my pills, but I wouldn't say it out loud. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but exactly. to, to that story there, Steph, about like, about going out in public and first, like somehow having this ability to suppress your, your like, innate need to cough um i i have the i have the same thing whenever i'm on whenever i'm on stage so like if i'm if i'm in front of a camera on stage or a live show you know like like Mm -hmm. us doing live shows like i i I, it it doesn't matter if i'm like really having a a a sort of like challenging week in terms of my that my lung function Mm -hmm. it just it just like it's like this it's like this internalized suppressant that yeah. that just works for a short period of time, and then and then when you're out of it, you you kind of like go back to go yeah. back to Dude, yeah. that's my my ability to hold back a shit while I'm traveling. Well, that's the thing. Is, we all don't, you know. We have we are on a first yeah. date. We don't yeah. toot in the movie theater. I actually have <laughs> right. a funny first story. It's not funny, haha. But I was on a first date, and we we're walking down just like downtown Toronto, and all of a sudden I felt my lungs sort of erupt. And I, w- I could feel that there was blood just surging up. Oh, my God. You yeah. You mean, like, literally erupt. Yes. <sighs> so I was just like, you know what? I, oh, I have to go pee all of a sudden. Somehow I'm able to, like, swallow the blood. If I mean, if I smiled, I would have looked like a vampire that just had a tasty treat. Uh, so I ducked I mean, into... for some, that's kind of hot. I do look, I have a vampire vibe because I'm so pale. Um, (laughs) So I just ducked into second cup, just a coffee shop and just went in the washroom and just all of this blood's coming out, pouring out. I finally had to get to the point that it stopped, you know, bubbling up. And um, I just had to like kind of try to wash my teeth off. And then I just went back to the date. So you never know what a woman hides. (laughs) So you you didn't go to the, you weren't like, I got to go to the hospital right now. No, no. Is that must have been a good date? It sounds it sounds really dumb. It really does. But I think part of that's why my message. Not that we're. I'm not wrapping this up with a message. But if I were to give message to parents that have a child with any sort of illness or anything, any challenge, I'd say 
uh, try to work on the mental health aspect of it because I've always been an incredibly happy person. You know, I ride high. Uh, my serotonin levels are always pumped, mm. but um, I was in such deep denial that I could just wash my face after coughing up that much blood and just wow. be like, okay, what do you want to go next? Because wow. it was so compartmentalized that I could put leave that blood in the coffee shop and then just get back to the date. Were like like later on though, were you was that a was was that a result of like an impending pneumonia? Or did you just was that just like a you know, whatever like lungs. A, you just had leaky lungs? I, like, like for me, like, coughing up blood wasn't a huge deal. I did it all the time. Was it blood in your sputum or no, like it was literally like coughing frank up blood? blood? No. Dude, fuck. With that, I mean, that's all, that's only happened to me a handful of times. And oh, when it gets when it does, I'm like, yeah, I get terrified. Mm-hmm. And actually the last time it happened, I was I was admitted for like three weeks. But <laughs> but hey, now that I heard your story, the next time it Wimp. happens, I'm just gonna go <laughs> wash my teeth. I and know. Come on, going? Jeremy. Yeah, Suck where it are we up. going, babe? Yeah. I uh, <laughs> exactly. I had a, I had a conversation with uh, I believe I believe it was your bro there, Brian Dennis. Um, I you a, a, couple, a couple months ago, yeah. and we were talking about we were talking about we ended up talking about like athletes sticking in sport for like way too long, and that whole rabbit hole that you can get caught up in as an athlete. And, and oh, that, we that was ser- me and you, Tay. We were having that conversation. Was it you and I? I, yeah. I? I've had that conversation a bunch over the like because I feel like I for whatever reason. Anyway, yeah. The we we ended up starting to talk about how how so many. You could probably like theorizing that you could trace mental a lot of mental health issues being linked mm. to the the like prolonged the prolonged development of a character that is like adjacent to who you are but isn't you um, and how you know as you grow up naturally as you uh, as you go through junior high and high school you sort of like have this persona that is like some of you and some of what you want people to think is you because that's what you think they want. And so you mm-hmm. kind of have this, this version of yourself. That's like a character that's part you and part not you. And over time you're given, you're given a handful of opportunities to like exit that character and become you like fully you. And every time, and this is just like totally, we were just sitting around shooting the shit, theorizing that every time you pass up on one of those opportunities, it becomes harder for you to, take it up the next time it presents itself. And so you like further solidify this character and then that further develops like maybe some more, some more severe mental health issues like down the road and things start to solidify or, or coagulate if you, if you want to see it that way. And, um, and I was just kind of thinking about that, like, like what, what were the, what were the ramifications? Like the, I know it's not, um, it's less of a character and more of you like suppressing like a phys- some physical stuff. But did you feel like it spilled over into your mental health and the way that you were, the mm. way that you were keeping that in and not sharing that? Because I mean, that's a big part of your life that you're not opening up to other people about. And I mean, that can, you know, that can build and build. Did you find that that had some negative consequences over the, over time? It did. I, I think it affected both physical and mental because um, physical health, obviously, like, as Jeremy said, I'm not rushing to the hospital when that happened. I was continuing on with my day. Uh, but mental health, I, I'd always have, you know, I'm always super optimistic, and I, I truly am, and it's not, um, it's not an act at all. But then I'd have a, a couple days a year where I would get so upset that I would just need to take take the entire day. But it would be so upsetting that I couldn't even speak. Or I'd find if I'd go on vacation when I was able to turn everything off, because 
I always had three jobs. I always get myself super busy. And then when I had my career, I did freelance on the side. Um, so I was able to just always keep everything going at such a rapid speed that I didn't have time to relax and let my thoughts come to me. So I, I had one time I was on a vacation with my boyfriend and I just hit a wall so hard that I, I couldn't speak if I wanted to. I couldn't even say one word because I just snapped and it wasn't over something. I think I was, well, no, I think I was unpacking, packing my medicine because when you pack for a vacation, Jeremy, you know, this is you really get to see how much you take in a, in a week or two, right? Yeah, so seeing yeah. all that and pack and packing all of it, it just hit me, and I just it's like my universe cracked. Yeah, are, are you a, are you Scorpio? I am. Yeah, I <laughs> how did you how could you tell, Jer? <laughs> you know, it's like just three jobs, just those, uh, the anxiety of, of packing things. meds. It's I, I you know I know a thing or <laughs> did two. Did you read astrology. that in the Metro this morning? Uh, <laughs> is that what it's, is that what, yeah. did it say something along those lines? Nailed it. Um, do you have I, I do. I, I do want to know. I do want to know because I find this so so fascinating. But um, you know, when you said that your even your in laws didn't know um, up until you were thirty four. Like, can you do you know do you know how many people at that time in your life knew? Yep, uh, childhood friends. Maybe I could count. Uh, I didn't tell people in elementary school either, but my girlfriends that would have sleepovers with, they'd know. So maybe I could count on less than two hands how many people knew by the time I was 34. Um, So, I mean, obviously you must have been, you must have been like, um, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong here, but like you must have been doing pretty fucking good in terms of like overall lung function, in terms of you know, like, like long-term hospitalizations or, you know, avoiding tune-ups, like, were you physically for, you know, for the, for, for most of your youth, like, were you, were you all right? Were you doing like pretty well for, considering someone who has CF? Yeah. My first hospitalization was when I was 25. Wow. That was oh my, my first tune-up. Wow. Yeah. And that was, I was, oh. we went, uh, my girlfriends and I were, went to the Greek islands and we were just sort of partying through the Greek islands in April and it was damp and mm. there was no, uh, all the hotels were sort of like marble floors and damp. And, and when I'd go to sleep, I could just feel everything rumbling. And mm. by the time I, and I didn't tell them I had CF, it was before I was 34. So we've just, I went, traveled around Greece without doing some of my meds. Sometimes I'd have a shower and I'd bring my nebulizer in the, sh- like in the bathroom and try to sneak some in there. I just bundle up the Whoa. towel with all my wow. meds and wow. then go to the shower. Wow. Um, but, um, and I mean, it doesn't help that Greece is at the time it was filled with smoke everywhere. Mm. Um, so I'd stand outside when they were going in a bar or something right. because I'm like, Oh, asthma. I always said I had asthma just right. in case you mm. wondered about the CF. CF for, um, CF for weaklings. Hey, you hear that asthmatics out there? So, I'm, I'm, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> but like, but Steph, were your parents like, I'm trying to imagine how even when you were like a 12 year old in, in like junior high school, did your parents like tell your teachers that hmm. you had cystic fibrosis or was there anybody like also kind of like covering your tracks or helping you kind well, of keep this a secret or were they encouraging you to do that or like, I just picture I my just, parents like sweeping up behind me. It's a conspiracy um, theory yeah. within the family. <laughs> we had a good support Tell system nobody. for that. Um, no, I just, um, we early on when I was maybe in grade one kindergarten, we told teachers after that, maybe my mom didn't, I wasn't aware of it, but it wasn't something I didn't stand in front of the class. Mm. Uh, actually, I think in grade one, we might've, 
and I switched schools just to cover those tracks. Um, but I, I kind of imagine that as like a good, like a yeah. good learning opportunity for for kids. And like right. obviously, like it's may, might be traumatic to like put a child at like the center of that. But like, okay, yeah. <laughs> you know? So I remember when I was really, really little, like maybe my son's age, maybe around five. I I have um, my stomach is like a treasure map. It looks like a treasure map because when I was born, I just they had. Uh, they didn't know what was wrong with me and they had an emergency, just surgery, what's happening here. Um, because of that, it's always been an interesting like conversation. And I remember at one point my dad had, we had had company over and my dad's like, Steph, come here. And you know, I'm a little kid, so you're not really part of the conversation. He's like, look, and they showed them my scar and it goes from my sternum all the way down past my pant line. And, um, it was just more of like how proud he was because I'm this little warrior kid. But it was really a moment that I was like, nope, I don't like that. I don't want to be known mm-hmm. for that. And I honestly, uh, Jeremy, don't take offense to this because I don't think you were this. But I just hated poster children. The yeah. kids that wanted to be on the posters. And that, like my dad used to be part of a motorcycle club and they did big rides. And one of the girls, um, one of the parents had a kid with CF as well. And they did all these you know, motorcycle rides, the Toronto Gold Wings ride for cystic fibrosis. I'm just like, gross. I just mm. never wanted to be that kid ever. Yeah, mm. I, I tried to stay away from it too. I mean, mm. I tried, I stayed away from that shit. I stayed away from like, you know, like public or or like like public forums online and stuff like that. Like, I just I I wanted nothing to do with <clears throat> CF in general. Um, but then mm. you know, like somehow I just like it just kept pulling me in, and now now. Well, there's no. probably something pretty healthy to that too, in the in the yeah. in the sense that like it's like a self preservation. You don't thing. want it to be, especially at like a really young, vulnerable mm. age. You don't want it mm-hmm. to be like the own, like the thing that you grow up being. Like you no. don't want to be CF as a child. Mm. No, yeah. my parents were very aware of that too. I have a my mom was quoted. Sorry, my voice is terrible, CF. Um, my mom was quoted in the newspaper. I know it's it's awful. It's great for podcasts though. It adds character. My mom was quoted in a newspaper. It's very salty. Uh, no, my mom did an interview when I was little and she said, she's not, she's quoted saying something along the lines of like, she's not a hot house tomato. You can't just put her in the perfect environment and not let her, you know, and protect her in every way possible. She was really advocating that I should be a regular kid. And I had two, I have an older brother and older sister. They don't have CF. I got treated very similar to them, but I just went to swimming lessons with like four towels on. So I didn't catch a cold, you know? Um, But no, I think I love that my parents, I think my parents did a wonderful job. I'm so proud of how Mm -hmm. they did that because um, I wouldn't have traveled the world. I wouldn't have done all these crazy things. Right. I think I did that in spite of. I, I'm curious what were their about thoughts how, into what were their thoughts into your twenties, like into your twenties, mid twenties. Like, were, did they were they were they were they like, hey, have you considered opening up to anybody, like, <laughs> or did they just completely stay out of it? No, they completely stayed out of it. They respected the fact that that was not my jam. They mm-hmm. were worried though because I moved out at twenty one and. I was, you know, my first time living downtown Toronto and I was working really hard, partying hard. I was just living life to the fullest Mm. as a 21-year-old, you know? Mm. And at one point, I remember my dad said, Stephanie, you need to get some rest. Otherwise, you're going to end up with a lung transplant. And I just screamed up. I just screamed back at him. I said, that's going to happen anyways. 
because when I was little, they yeah. said, Stephanie, if you don't eat, you're going to end up with a feeding tube. Steph, you got to eat. You got Because eating was the biggest problem for me. I couldn't gain weight. I was wasting away. And then I ended up with a feeding tube in grade nine. Mm. So it was always like they, they said, and not in a mean way, but they just were worried. And then mm. it happened. So when he said that to me, I was like, it's just like the feeding tube. I'm going to get a long transplant. Tube. When you, I when did, though. You, you hid that? How the fuck did you hide it? Yeah, I was going to ask. Yeah. Um, so it was, um, I forget, it was, I was in high school and poofy vests were huge. So it was all about like a hooded sweatshirt and a big poofy vest. Like that was the style then. So I swear it, it was. It wasn't a feeding tube. It wasn't like a, like a nasal feeding tube, like the tube that goes in the no, nose. No, it was a GI tube. Oh. So right little, through my stomach wall. Like right oh, through, shit. Yeah, it was well, extra, painful. Extra. Extra belly button. I, um, um, I, I am curious about, because I think back to one of my first uh, memories of, of meeting Jer. Uh, we, we raced sprint canoeing against one another when we were like 12 years old. And uh, I knew of Jer because I raced against him and, and he, he used to beat me when he was good and then he wasn't good after that. Um, and we, we had this mutual friend. And I remember um, my friend telling me, that Jeremy had cystic fibrosis and I didn't know what it was. And I asked him, I was like, what's that? And he was like, it means that you're going to live a shorter life. And I was like, oh fuck, that's such a bummer. But it was like the first, like to me, that was just cystic fibrosis for like 30 years until we started this podcast. And and, and, yeah, well, I was going to like, that's what I wanted to ask. Like, like in terms of knowing that you have a shorter statistically have a shorter life expectancy at that age, what did that mean to you and the relationships that you had with your friends and like how you would, I just imagine like even hearing people talk about like what they want to do when they're older and things like mm. that. Like, did you, did you struggle be, with like, be, before you answer that though, mm-hmm. I, I, I want, I want to know how you found out because, because a big, a big part of that for, cause yeah, I, you yeah, know, I, I, I had that knowledge when we were that age, Bri, but like I suppressed that knowledge as, mm-hmm. as though that, you know, it was like almost like a, 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 a a way of react like a, a a way of reacting to PTSD. Like I I I denied it. You oh know? Like yeah. Like I, I I wasn't even like I wasn't even entertaining the fucking idea of it. You took the words mm-hmm. out of my mouth. You took the but, words out of my mouth. Yeah. But that's because I found out on my own by accident by reading I a pamphlet. Think we all and then, do though, Jeremy. I don't know whose parent whose parent system down is like Sohan. You so may you, die. You never early. you never you got know? that. You never got that talk from a social worker or your folks. No, in I mean. So in 1989, uh, news came over the radio that they had identified the gene for cystic fibrosis. And I was six, and I remember. Like, we were in the car, it came over the radio, and I remember, like, so clearly. And then at night, my parents sat me down, and we, we spoke about it. And I remember my dad was wearing jeans, because he always does. And I remember him rubbing the denim and saying, you know, Steph, you have something called jeans. Not like the jeans I'm wearing, but jeans that make up your body. And trying to simplify it for a six-year-old. Uh, but I remember because it was on the news so much then that I started to hear stuff about mm. life expectancy. And then from then, it just kind of trickled in through my life. Like I remember um, mm. when I was like in grade seven, we had one of these massive TVs, right when big TVs were cool, right? Uh, and I remember like a seeing. Pounds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I remember seeing on City TV, it's having the number 32, like the size of my body. And it was saying that was my life expectancy. And I remember I just walking into the kitchen and crying and collapsing, being like, what is the news saying? Like, are they crazy? That can't be right. And I just, and I was just kind of like everything like that over and over again. 
Another example is when I was working downtown on Bay Street, um, I worked in corporate and I would just get the CF Canada updates, like newsletters, whatever, to my email. Mm. And there was this one email and it talked about the life expectancy. And again, I just, but it hit me like a ton of bricks that time. And I just ended up having a huge anxiety attack at my desk at work. And my girlfriend just came over like, what is happening right now? So mm. I just think I would ignore it and ignore it. And these little things would trickle in and it would just be like, boom, it would just like a punch in the chest. Can I just say, did you really work in corporate? Because I feel like that's what they just say in movies. Oh, we got we to gotta go to <laughs> corporate, corporate for this one. <laughs> I didn't know yeah. that was a real thing. <laughs> just well, like- no, I did, I did uh, corporate design. I did corporate design for 16 okay. years. <laughs> Brian's like, just oh, imagining, she works like, in corporate. Like, Brian's <laughs> imagining in somebody just that's on the phone and, and just go and just says like two million or I walk, <laughs> like things like um, that. In, in terms of like, in terms of your your like teenage adolescent years and and like de- dealing with that idea of this this idea that you're going to die and or, or have a shorter life expectancy, um, did that ever? like come up in conversation with your close friends or was that like definitely something that you just shoved down? So I went to a different high school than my local high school. You know, I just have to keep clearing my tracks. <laughs> uh, no, I went to performing yeah. arts school in grade nine. So I, I went to school. Imagine your parents just continuously moving you. Someone like, found out. Pack. <laughs> Fuck, we no. need to get out of here. <laughs> Let's go. Go time. No, I went to performing arts school. So um, uh, it was a new high school. I didn't know anyone. It was a new chance. So I remember I tried to kind of think like, maybe now's a good time to, you know, come out. And I, I took my enzymes at school, which I didn't normally do very often. Or, I, you know, I do it in the washroom before. It's gross. But who goes to the washroom to take pills? It's gross. Um, that's nasty as fuck. That's nasty as fuck. You know what else is gross? No. People who take Coffee's their fucking the coffee cups into public Whatever. bathrooms. That's you, so nasty. You should Come all on. burn in hell. We should all burn in hell, especially yeah. these two here. We have polled people all across the country, and not very many people share your opinion. Those people are people who are clearly going to just walk right into COVID. So They're just anyway, gonna poop in their cup. <laughs> yep. um, so new high school in the cafeterias where all things happen in high school. And I decided to take my enzymes. And one person said, hey, what is that for? And, and I said, like, oh, I'm lactose intolerant because I wasn't ready to go fully yet. But I, was ready to, <laughs> I was ready to take the pills. And someone said, oh, my friend takes that. But she has a disease called CF where you die when you're 19. And I was like, oh. punch in the gut. Oh, and I was just like, and I just had to act normal. I was just like, like, like oh, your poor friend. You know, like, so I have such mm. great practice of being like, oh, mm. coughing up blood. Life's like, you know, nothing happened. You tell me I'm going to die. Ah, it's okay. You know? What What was the switch? Like when, when you were 34 and, and um, you decided to like come out to your, you know, friends and, and your in-laws what like what was it that made you decide that the time was right? It was three things. Um, one is my son being born. As crazy as it, as it is, like having a little human in my life, uh, even though he doesn't know any anything, he's just a little baby staring at me. <laughs> he was a new person that I did all of my treatments in front of. And I also obviously had a new reason to make sure I'm here for as long as possible. So he really inspired me to do everything. Um secondly was my heart, my health started to decline pretty fast in my thirties. It just went from completely being able to hide it to being, I just couldn't do much. You know, I started losing ability to join friends. Oh, come out for a Halloween party. Go to Nuit Blanche art exhibit downtown. 
It's like, that's outside in October. That's not possible for my lungs, you know? Um, And the third thing was, is I was open about being diagnosed with cancer. So I got cancer and um, I had people, like I was open with it. I was open at work uh, because I had to have surgery. I had to have some time off and I was open with family. That's right. Well, friends and family. And then I started getting messages from like my brother's neighbor saying, you know, you're a warrior. You can do this. I started getting those like, you know, traditional messages that you send to someone that has cancer. Mm-hmm. And I was like, a warrior. And I was, I just thought, you don't even know that half of it. I'm not nearly as concerned that this is going to kill me. Mm-hmm. I'm more concerned that CF is going to kill me. So mm-hmm. it, it like, so being able to almost go out in another costume called cancer being like, Hey guys, yeah. I have this big thing going on in life and seeing how people reacted to it. Yeah, it made me realize that, well, maybe it's not so scary to have something. Mm. I don't know. And also people know what cancer is. They know how to respond. When mm. you tell people you have CF, they don't know what it is. Worst mm. case scenario in my head, they think it's terminal. Um, or they're aware of its capacity to be terminal. Or they're um, like, chronic fatigue. Hmm. Chronic <laughs> fatigue, yeah. No, so I guess just dabbling my foot and being open mm. about a disease. Mm. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm glad you probably I'm glad like- we- I'm glad we got to that now because I remember when we were doing the live show, um, we had gone like we had gone. We were like coming up to time and you're like, yeah, so anyway, uh, that's CF. And oh, by the way, I had cancer and my sister was yeah. a surrogate mother. And, I, and, and the, <laughs> yeah, chat, I the, the chat in the fucking live show exploded <laughs> and people were like, whoa, what the fuck? What? Holy shit. This just took a huge turn. What's going on? Like, and then we were like, I guess we got to drag this out a little longer. What's, what's up with the cancer? Oh, sorry about that. I mean, we didn't get to the surrogate mother thing, but we will get there. But uh, Spoiler alert, Jeremy. But you, yeah, like that's, that is, I mean, it's, it's not funny, but I, it, it, it's, it's not haha funny, but it, it's kind of funny. I always, I, growing up, I was always like, well, at least, I, I got CF. At least I, I don't have room for cancer. And now you're the second CF person I know who have who has caught and about a cancer. And I'm like, oh, fuck, I'm, I'm probably going to get cancer. I know. Cancer. I know. I've talked to so many people that have had cancer with CF. <clears throat> Actually, I've talked to a lot of people that have cancer and they're on Trikafta. What are the whoa, odds? Whoa, That's whoa, a slim whoa. group of people. Yeah. yeah. Holy shit. That they is have, super slim. Is it, a, is, it a, is it because it's a therapy that's used for that or is it because they also have CF? Just just oh, no, chance. just a coincidence. I'm just yeah. saying that the pool of people that have both CF and cancer can't be that big. And yeah. then the, the, the pool of people that are on Trikafta, which is, you know, something a lot of us don't have access to, plus CF, plus cancer. That's a doozy. You know, which, means, which means statistically everyone with CF has, probably has cancer. So if you're listening to this right now and you have CF... Just go no. to the hospital. Grab your balls, now. squeeze your tits, no. like fi- fucking figure it out. Okay, we gotta we gotta get down to the bottom of this. Well, we do have a ch- high chance of colon cancer, Jeremy. Do we? Oh, oh yeah, oh, a Fuck. very high chance. Well, oh, yeah, it's a thing. I barely have a colon anyway, so I think I'm <laughs> I think I'm safe. Well, hopefully, you took uh, it out then. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, sorry, Tay. I I, I kind of cut you off there. You were you were gonna you were gonna dive into something. There. Um. Yeah, I was going to ask. Uh, what was my train of thought there? It had to do with um with oh you. Uh, like the cancer, you you had said that you you know you were open about your cancer and kind of being a uh, maybe a little bit surprised about like the really kind of positive reaction of everybody because they know like cancer is more oh, so much more common po- positive that they reaction. know you got cancer yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you got cancer oh my god congratulations That's so nice congratulations Bless. but like you know like a po- like positive support um, <laughs> in that and mm-hmm. and realizing like oh maybe people like. 
maybe people do know how to, you know, maybe it's not as scary. I, I was, I was kind of imagining you like when you take something from, from like your adolescence that you have these experiences of maybe being like a fear of being made fun of for taking pills or for, you know, just like opening yourself up to the potential to have like some, something like really devastating said, like, like you said, when that person's, uh, said, oh, my friend has something called CF that, and it's going to kill her when she's 19 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like, like you're, I, I, the, the, pro, the, the protective mechanism to keep that in makes sense. And then, you know, as you get into adulthood, for the most part, like people mature and then the way that they react to things change and, or at least hopefully does. And for a lot of people does. And, and, but you know, like you kind of, did you carry, like, is it like a, is it a process or a a symptom of like carrying what like may, might be like a really solid protective mechanism as an adolescent into your adulthood where people are probably going to react pretty positively to knowing about it. But then, just that anxiety of like opening up and being like vulnerable. Like, yeah, I also rolling. went to, I mean, I also went to therapy to try to resolve those two very big pieces of myself of me without CF and me with CF because CF mm. became so draining and a piece of every bit of my life. I, you know, I was always in an IV at one point. It was insane. Mm. Um, so I, I remember uh, one of my <laughs> first therapy sessions, I said, you know, I have this person that, that works downtown and works long hours and it hits, you know, milestone and travels the world and does this and does that. And then this other person that has to do hours of therapy and, and is embarrassed of these certain things. And I described these two different people. And she said to me, Stephanie, you do understand those two people are the same person, right? She kind of brought her hands together in a class. I'm like, well, yeah, you know, it was just, it was so simple. And of course I knew that I wasn't delusional. Are vegans actually unhealthy? Does cannabis ruin your sleep? And why are so many men taking testosterone supplements? I'm Mitch. And I'm Greg. And we're the creators of the popular YouTube channel, ASAP Science. Every week on our podcast, Side Note by ASAP Science, we explain the science behind a controversial subject with recent research, up-to-date studies, and ridiculous stories so you are entertained while, bam, simultaneously learning. We're here to make science make sense. Download Side Note by ASAP Science wherever you got your podcasts. I was going to say um, uh, I, one of the things that that um, that has been mentioned, but we haven't really like dived into, is the fact that you have children. Um, and I know that statistically, uh, it's some very high percentage, like ninety-seven percent for women, ninety-eight percent for men. I think somewhere around there. Don't quote me, uh, but it's definitely like that high of men and women, uh, people who live with cystic fibrosis are sterile. And, um, so I know that that's a fact for myself. I can't, I, I, um, I can't knock up a human, uh, with my own, with just, with just a few subtle pumps. You know what I mean? Uh, I gotta, I gotta have some intervention there. I need, I need a team to kind of, uh, I don't know how it works. Those I'm assuming just insert a giant needle into my ball sack and extract my very, very potent sperm, which I know exists, although they just can't come out. Um, are you, are you one of those folks where your CF has made you infertile? And, and what was the, <clears throat> what was the process of, um, of capturing a baby if you can't make one yourself? 
Uh, no, I can't have a baby. Oh. Um, we figured that out pretty early on. Uh, it was a matter of a few things. Well, one was morally, do I think it's okay to bring a baby into this life if I have a complicated life and a possible early departure? Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, what would that do to my body? So mm-hmm. my husband and I, we talked about it for you know years. We'd have these long car rides. We'd do road trips mm-hmm. and just both of us just be almost sobbing. Sobbing, not almost sobbing. Um, just about the the we had this dream of having this family, but we didn't know if it was fair or if we were quote unquote allowed to have a family. Mm. I remember I had a um, an appointment with a therapist at my hospital, and he said, "Stephanie, well, you know, if you heard someone had breast cancer and wanted to have a baby, would you judge them?" And I was like, "I don't know, maybe, you know, <laughs> so terrible." But mm. I was just really putting myself in those shoes, saying like, "I I didn't know what people would think about it," you know, and. And what my future child would think about this. So after we talked with a therapist, each other, we sat down with every member of our family. Because, I mean, my family is very kind. But the last thing I wanted to hear if I was in the hospital and they had to take, swoop in and help was like, well, why would you have a baby if you can't take care of it? And they would never say that, but that was my worst fear, right? Right. So after deciding to get over that moral dilemma, do we deserve to be parents? Then we started looking into, well, can we be parents? <clears throat> and we looked into it and, and I, you know, I can carry a baby. Uh, throughout my life, my sister and I had kind of chatted about her carrying my baby, which is, I don't even know where that came from. That was just a story that we always had. Uh, then when it came to her having her first child, I was there seeing her in contractions. And I looked at my husband and I said, we could never let her do this. That is insane. Like I was watching what she was going through. Hmm. Um, and then so we thought, you know what, why don't I have a baby? Um, so when my sister's son, like she gave birth, her son was around three months old. I'm, I'm holding this baby all the time. I'm like, you know what? I think I'm ready. Let's start trying. My lung collapsed. And when you have a lung collapse, clearly you can't start trying to have a baby. My lung was collapsed for eight weeks. It wouldn't get back up. I was finally transferred to get surgery. And then the day before surgery, it kind of popped back up and I went home. <laughs> What the fuck? It was, it was messed up. Nice. Uh, for, that was, it was a long time ago. And to this yeah, day, I'm like, is it staying up? I didn't even know that was just like Ashton Kutcher. is like, bonked, bitch. I know, right? Yeah. Um, so at this point, they said in the next two years, there's a 50% chance that this lung would collapse again. It's basically a crapshoot. They don't know. It could, you know. Uh, so we said, well, we'll have to wait two years. So let's wait the two years and let's start trying. Um, and we had a few close calls, you know, a time that's, uh, I was a little bit late one month, and I thought, oh, my gosh, maybe this is it. But then right when we were about to be ready to try, listen, two years is up. I think it's safe to go forward. I'm going to try and get pregnant. I found out I had cancer on my uterus lining. So if we were looking for a Jeez. sign from somewhere yeah. to have a baby, uh, we certainly didn't get it. We were yeah. just we were shown sign and sign again. Bad idea. Uh, but I'm like a dog with a bone. So uh, we started doing, uh, we started going through a surrogacy process. And at first we had uh, someone else uh, was a surrogate for us, a woman that lived a couple hours from us. She'd always wanted to do this. It was her dream. We actually had six people offered to have our baby very seriously, which was wow. like some girl, some very good friends of mine. Uh, but this woman really wanted to offer to do it like pff, angel. So we started going through with her. And then her test failed. She wasn't able to carry. We, after a certain stage of her physical review, 
Uh, it just wasn't a good timing for her to do this for us. Can I can I ask? Um, I'm really curious about how the surrogacy process works. Like, do you do you pay a surrogate to carry your child? Like, what's the what type of agreements? That's a good question. Dollars are formed with surrogates. Uh, it's priceless, Brian. Uh, no. Uh, so, <laughs> so um, fuck you. <laughs> uh, in Ontario, it's illegal to ch- to charge someone to have your baby. But there's a lot of agencies that, well, you can sign up with and then they'll say, okay, well, you're not giving them money, but you'll help pay for all their expenses while they're off work or any time or their daycare for their kids. There's a, they do get compensated. Mm-hmm. Um, Tips are appreciated <clears throat> as well. Very much. And you pay for mm-hmm. all of their expenses. And the, exp- the process itself is quite expensive. So it shouldn't cost the surrogate any money. That's all in the intended parents. Uh, so you pay for their gas, their mileage, and like absolutely everything is a business sort of thing. You have a contract, mm-hmm. there's lawyers involved, but so this first surrogate, she didn't work out. And the doctor had said to me, listen, Stephanie, I just want the best result at the end. I don't want just anyone doing this for you. And my sister had found out, uh, that we were looking another surrogate. And we sat down one day at my, t- at my kitchen table and she was just kind of pissed. <laughs> She's like, Stephanie, I'm supposed to do this for you. What are you doing? Like, this is my job. And I said to her, well, I didn't, I didn't know you weren't, you know, we hadn't really, the communication wasn't clear on it. And she's like, I didn't know if you could have babies because of the cancer. But if you can have a baby, I'll have your baby. And it was almost like this, like, tense argument back and forth. And at the end, I'm just, so you wanted my baby? She's like, yeah. So we hugged it out. It was like actually a fun did moment. You, did you tell That's her, awesome. were, you, were you like, man, I just saw you having that baby and I thought, I did. God damn, I can't. <laughs> I, saw I can't her, ask you. I saw her get the epidural, and they're like, this could feel like a bee sting. And they put it in her, and she was just like, shark bite, not a bee sting. <laughs> like, it was just like, I can't believe what women go through. Uh, was so she, she a person that, that enjoyed, because, you know, I she feel like hates pregnancy. She didn't like she pregnancy. She gets, okay. um, she is very down during pregnancy. She's also a police officer, so. Um, that career doesn't work well for having babies, you know? Mm. And she had just come back from a mat leave just like slightly before that. So um, it's a boys club. Having baby after baby after baby is not something that everyone's high-fiving you about in the office, right? Mm. Uh, So no, so she was in the same month, like at the beginning of one month, I had surgery at Sunnybrook Hospital to remove three areas of my uterus lining that had aggressive cancer. And at the end of the month, I got my egg retrieved to then fertilize in a little lab and pop into my sister. (laughs) It was was a wild fall. There's a lot of words I didn't like there, like aggressive cancer, eggs retrieved. Oh, the egg retrieval hurts. It was not fun. I think it hurt more because I had just got surgery. So I don't think I had healed enough to have another surgery. Yeah. Yeah, I imagine. And it's so close. I mean, they're like. It was. And yeah, it was bookends of a month. Yeah. Fuck. Jesus yeah. Christ. <clears throat> um how did the how was the process with with your your sister like it was the pregnancy was it was it a was it a a smashing success? A slam dunk? Well, I mean the the whole thing leading up there's a lot you have to do with a surrogate. It's basically like doing IVF but like a mega IVF split mm. between two people. It's ext- it's incredibly expensive. There's tons and tons of needles involved. And it was, it was a very difficult thing for her to do mentally, physically. And she's the strongest woman I know. She's like, mm. she's a superhero. Um, so just getting to the point of us popping our little son into her, 
Um, like he was a fertilized embryo and we just went into a room. My husband and I held hands and it just put it in my sister on her lunch break at work. And then we just got McDonald's fries because <laughs> salty McDonald's wild. fries is a tradition Jason. after you do a IVF. And then she went back to work. Of course. The doctor, oh, the doctor did his procedure and I said, okay, so should she lie very carefully for the next two hours? And he's like, yeah. no, honey, people are like cheerleaders under bleaches. People go for a horseback ride. She's like, she can go back to work. So it was like <laughs> very uh. different than I imagined, but she had a very great pregnancy. I think it was one of her easiest pregnancies she's had. She's in total had three pregnancies. Um, so she had her son, my son, and then her son, her second wow. son. Wow. Um, but it was it was very hard on everyone, mentally and physically. Uh, but she's a champ. Like she's just an amazing woman. Yeah. Bravo to your sis. That's crazy. You guys must be you guys must be did did you did that did you guys get closer after that? Were you I mean, I'm assuming you were already pretty close. We were always very close. I have I mean I have the utmost I've always had the most respect for her too. I don't know. I just have the coolest story now about her and Mm -hmm. other people because people know the story got to see how amazing she is because she's an introvert. She doesn't take credit for her amazingness. So I love that people got to see how great she is through this, even though they should have already known. Um, But then afterwards, we had to adopt my son. So a baby in Ontario legally belongs to whoever he comes out of. So then we had to get a DNA test done. It was like Maury Povich. Uh, they had to you do a cheek swab. The mother. I am the baby's mother. Um, so yeah, uh, that was a long 10 days. I don't know why it wouldn't have been, but like, <laughs> what wild. if the lab messed up? Um, yeah. and my husband's super Greek, like black hair, big Eugene eyebrows, Eugene Levy eyebrows. <laughs> and my baby has like, my son has blonde hair and he used to have blue eyes. So it's just like, oh, <laughs> yeah, there's a small chance that my sister could have got pregnant at the same time, you know, and Whoa. then so she would have had her baby. We would have celebrated, and then it was actually not sure. my baby. So right, sure. Yeah. Sure. Whoa, that's Whoa. a Mori episode. Was was there any like worry ball, during those right. ten days when you were like, oh fuck, I hope she didn't get pregnant by another guy at the same time? No, she. I trusted her. She actually just signed something to say that we should do her best to avoid okay. that. By another um, guy, Brian. Why'd you say it like it was just some random milkman? <laughs> Could have been, dude. Um, you don't know. Never know. But I'm <laughs> telling you, witnessing a C-section is something I never want to do again. The, uh, oh, yeah, my that's, God. No, same, same. Cool. I'm yeah. glad we're both on the same boat on that. Have you witnessed a C-section? Uh, no. Oh. No. no. I didn't no, realize he... they take things out of you and then put them back. No, 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 when no, they were, no, no. When they were wow. taking down the curtain, when my sister's like operating table, curtain's coming down, one corner's coming down, other's coming co- down. I'm looking and there's just like a, something that looks like a piece of steak on her. Oh. And I'm just like, no, it's like slow motion. The was nurse, it steak? No. The nurse, <laughs> oh, no. The nurse came over and just flicked it, and it just tumbled off the table no. on the floor. Why would she do that? <laughs> the most, um, I think the only time my sister might have wanted to punch me in the face during this, though, was she's in the recovery. They give her Tylenol. She's been cut open. Baby's been yanked out. They give her Tylenol. Yeah, that's going to be strong enough. Yeah. And we're in the recovery room, and she's like, oh. I feel like I'm going to throw up. And I lean on her bed. I'm like, me too. <laughs> and her husband She's just like, looked at me like, are you kidding me? Yeah, not, not it, was, it was very overwhelming. <laughs> I got a full back piece tattoo yesterday after five hours. My, uh, my tattoo artist stands up and he goes, 
God, my back. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Basically the same thing. That's basically the same thing. Yo, let's talk about Trikafta yes. and Get Loud. Um, we we have talked about Trikafta on this podcast a, a number of times over the past uh, year and a little bit. Um, wow, has it been a year? Well, I mean, we're, it's, it's been it, probably not quite, close but, to that. But it's been, yeah, we're, we're coming up on a year, I think. Um, uh, it's it's something that still continues to this day to be a drug, a life-changing, fucking, like, miracle drug that is not available for Canadians who need it. Um, it's it's a complete and utter shit show in terms of the the red tape that surrounds that decision and the reason why it's not accessible for Canadians. Um, and, and we don't, we don't need to get into that. We can, if you want, but, um, I know that you, Steph, are one of the very, very few Canadians who have been, uh, lucky enough to, uh, have been granted access to Trikafta. Yep. Um, uh, so just right out of your mouth, like how, how much has this drug changed your life? I would be dead down without it. Hands down. There's no doubt in my mind. My, like, my health was spiraling so fast. I couldn't get off an IV. I had uh, pneumonias that would last eight months. I was in the ICU. I was, my lungs were bleeding so heavily. Uh, and antibiotics were stopping. They weren't effective anymore. I could be on it for eight months. They weren't doing anything. So it was getting to the point that I was taking IV vacations. It's like, lovely. So I could just yeah. unhook for a couple of weeks to try to, you know, get out well. of some of those side effects. But... I was at a fork in the road. I was at a fork just saying, you get a lung transplant because your lungs are done. Or maybe there's a glimmer of hope that I can get this breakthrough medicine. So I got assessed for lung transplant at Toronto General. I got approved to be, you know, I could could start listing when I was ready. Uh, I wasn't ready to list yet. I wanted to fight still. And I got really loud and I fought really hard. And because I was at end-stage disease, um... I fought really hard for a compassionate care program. Mm. And uh, other countries in the world had compassionate care programs, meaning the manufacturer, the manufacturer says it's not available in your country, but without this, this person's going to die, and I will give it to them for free for life. So I pleaded with everyone that would listen. I, got everyone, I asked the government. I pleaded for Canada to save my life. Canada ignored me, unfortunately, mm-hmm. and I sent um, lots of letters to Vertex. I sent them care packages. I, I went on news stations. I did everything. I was obnoxious. And mm-hmm. finally, I found out I was the first patient in Canada to gain compassionate care. Um, for life. That's fucking, I mean, that's, that's well, so Well, unless wild. somebody else will pay for it. Like if Canada gets sure, this medicine sure. and then it gets provincially approved, which is the next battle... And they say, oh, Ontario is going to cover this under OHIP. Uh, yeah. Then then I'll get it. I mean, then what, I'll say, okay, Canada, you can pay for this now. What was end stage for you? Like, what was your lung function at the time that you were begging for this medication? I was at 28% lung function. But my, inf- my inflammatory levels were through the roof. They were off the charts. At one point, my doctor said, I have never seen inflammatory numbers like this unless someone is intubated in the ICU. Yeah. Um, I could barely... I, Twice the week before I got Trikafta, I had to be picked off the bathroom floor by my mom and my husband. I couldn't bathe myself. <clears throat> I couldn't pick up my son. So my goals, when they gave me the medicine, they asked me to write goals, and it was to bathe myself and to dance with my son. Mm-hmm. And within 
uh, well, the first day or so, I could smash both of those goals. When the was the last time you did PFTs? Crazy. That's right. When was the last time you had a pul- pulmonary lung function test? Maybe a month and a half ago. <clears throat> and what were your what were your what was your like FEV one or what what was your per, like your lung your lung uh, percentage then? Forty percent. Forty percent. Jesus wow. Christ! So doubled. That's wow. Yeah, it, it's uh. um. It wasn't just the lung function though. Honestly, when going in to get my test done. I thought I'd see numbers in the 60s or 70s that I haven't seen since I was a child because mm. my lungs feel brand new. Like they feel, mm. when I breathe, oh. I've never felt such expansion before. Yeah. It's And just my energy and my weight has been, yeah. I mean, I grew up my whole life struggling to gain weight and then bam, 35 pounds. You know what's oh, so yeah. wild about everything you just said right there is that 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 is the exact same sentiment that I heard from Tara Bork after her lung transplant. Mm-hmm. And a lung transplant is no fucking joke. Like no. that is that is a serious, uh, Tara's a, serious. Tara's commitment. a warrior. She's amazing. She, she is. Yeah, she's a total. Jamie badass. Jamie Keeping said the exact same thing. Same too. thing yeah, from Jamie. Same with yeah. Jamie. And, yeah. And so to hear that coming from someone who who didn't have to lay on a uh, on a on I a know. hospital table, I know. Have have their lung or their chest cracked wide open. Have another set of lungs replacing the ones that they were born with. And then crossing their fingers to hope that their body doesn't reject it. On top of that, all of the time that it takes to recover, all of the f- money that goes into the process of the the healthcare, the, oh, the surgery, yeah. like what it is a lung transplant costs. Literally, just 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 by taking like, what do you take? One pill a day? Like, what's the? Mm-hmm. Oh, so I take two pills a day. I have them with me. Um, <laughs> not that anyone can see them, but I have. Uh, you take three pills a day: two in the two in the morning, one at night. Uh, it's a combination of all the modulators that have been out to date, and it's just it's just incredible. I don't have any side effects. I'm trying yeah. to think of any side effects. No, you think with something this miraculous that yeah. you'd be like, oh, well, slowly inside I'm dying. Yeah. No. My, my nipple, my nipples are turning into <clears throat> penises, but that's no, neither here nor there. No, it can there. be very yeah. hard on your liver. That's why it's not right. rated for children yet in pediatrics. Right. But my liver levels for the first time as an adult have been normal since taking Trikafta. Wow. So it improves wow. my liver. I, just, to, just to like touch on what modulators are. So like this drug isn't... It's not. It's not treating this. It's not treating the symptoms of CF. It's. It's like it's treating at the source. So, like right. cystic fibrosis is a genetic disease, right? There is a. There is a. Um, a genetic mutation within our bodies that sets us apart from someone like Brian and, and Taylor. And so this. These drugs are are going in and basically like, you know, it's like a. It's like a, a team of workers that are going in and and kind of like fucking workshopping and, and fixing those genes, editing, like, not editing the genes, but, like, you know, modulating those genes no, to a point I where... No, I know. It's, it's One of the doctors described it as, like, I have a map that's been folded wrong, like, three times. Mm, and mm. what this does is goes in and opens up the map properly so that there my body can function. Yeah. It's... It's... it's, it's it, fucking it, mind-blowing, and it's life-changing. The, the thing that blows my mind is, is that, like, okay, so you think of, like an inventor inventing something like they they come up with this like brilliant idea that's going to be able to positively impact um a, a bunch of people's lives and like that invention should be able to be accessible by the people that it's been made for like why is it that like, I, I understand like the think of the, the pairing though brian why, like, so you have this researcher i don't care what country he lives in but it was discovered the gene was identified in Toronto at Sick Kids. 
this is an on a, this is a Canadian breakthrough to start this research. Mm. And then as Canadians, you know, we heard about this research, we heard about this breakthrough and every appointment I was I was hearing the cure, the breakthrough drug is so close. The the cure is so close, and this isn't a cure, but this is this is it feels like almost a cure to my body. I have thirty seven year old lungs that are very damaged. The fact that it's doing as much as it is is mind blowing. Mm-hmm. But then the amount, the blind side that happens when you're a Canadian and you realize that oh wait, we don't have the best health care. What like mm-hmm. when it came available in the U.S., I thought, oh, well, we just need to dot the I's, cross the T's. I'm Canadian. Nope, you know, <laughs> like that's just mm-hmm. not the way Canada works. And it's like it's un. I've had, you know, it's unveiled to me all of the errors that we have in our system. That if you have a rare disease in Canada, you're not taken care of, and it is terrifying. So what what is it exactly though with Canada? Like, why is it so hard to get this drug in Canada? <clears throat> It's so convoluted, Bri. I, I mean, Steph, you speak to it as much as you can, but it's like it. That question is so so deeply. Let's loaded. talk about. Let's talk about some of the reasons. Well, there, we have some new. We're changing our pharmacare in Canada. We're changing everything. We're rehauling it, and the guidelines that are doing this are called the PMPRB guidelines. So the Patented Medicine uh, Guidelines. Uh, it's actually the Patented Medicine Price Review Guidelines. So they are mandating prices to be cut from pharmaceutical companies, from manufacturers, which sounds really great, you know, but because we're one of the only developed countries that do not have a rare disease strategy, unfortunately, precision medicine that's been developed for the last three decades to get to this point, it is expensive. Uh, And what we're doing in our country is instead of negotiating prices like you do for anything, uh, I mean, any product you buy, you want to go to the bay and you want to buy like an expensive purse, uh, they will, you know, they're going to they're going to negotiate a price, and the consumer will pay a sticker price or or a different price. But Canada never pays a sticker price for drugs. Canada negotiates a price. But what Canada is trying to do right now is to mandate a massive price reduction up to seventy five percent. So unfortunately, that's just making Canada a little unappealing right now for manufacturers. Uh, so I feel like Canada needs to do their job negotiate the best price for medication and have a strategy for rare disease where unfortunately it's a little bit expensive. This policy that they're creating, it works well for things like insulin, EpiPens that are outrageously priced that a mass amount of people need. Those prices need to be cut. But for someone with a rare disease that is one in 12 of us, we there's no strategy that's here to help Canadians with a rare disease. We're just, I mean, we're a little bit SOL. Uh, And what that's impacted as well as the trials. Trials in Canada have been reduced by 52%. If if we're not, you know, as CF patients, I don't know about you, Jeremy, but my whole life I've done trials. I'm up to do any trial that comes my way because I want to see, well, maybe this is the drug that puts us forward. Mm -hmm. When you reduce that by 52%, we're losing opportunities and we're losing, just we're losing the attractiveness of, of Canada to, you know, towards manufacturers. In the case of, uh, Trikafta and Vertex, is it that like Canada is so, um, is not willing to compromise at all that Vertex now doesn't want to, like, obviously they want to sell in Canada, but are they not even like in talks right now? Like, they're in does, talks. How does it work? Uh, we just had a meeting. <clears throat> CF Gitlau just met with um, the, the Federal Minister of Health's office yesterday. And we did hear that Vertex and the PMPRB, these new regs, 
They've been speaking regularly, and it's been really positive. So that's great news. Mm. Uh, the problem is this isn't new. Tricaft is the golden goose right now. But we've been fighting for modulators for at least eight years. Or can be. Yeah, we uh, have. Uh, I mean, there's 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 a few of them. We have one person that was qualified for coverage on our Cambi in Canada. Mm-hmm. They put these regulations so tight that you have to be rapidly declining at such a rapid speed that. Um, Oftentimes it's too late. It's, it's exactly, Jeremy. It's <clears throat> often too late and we lose people. Uh, during yeah. this fight, we've lost a lot of Canadians just during this fight. <clears throat> but, and, um, and as, as, as. As, as uh, I'm, I kind of struggle with how to like how to phrase this because, as as incredible as it is, like compassionate use, and I understand compassionate use, and um, um, at the same time, it's like it's also it's also it's also a shame at the exact same time because it's there. Well, it's it's there before you you get to that place. Do you know what you compassionate get, care is equivalent to? A doctor prescribing cancer medication at stage four. I'm in stage four CF. You know, we don't break CF up into these stages, but CF has impacted my entire body at this point and really damaged it permanently. Mm. I, I love Trikafta. It's doing miracles for me. But if a child were to get Trikafta, if a person yeah. before the damage got Trikafta, right. they would live yeah. a long, healthy life. Like, yeah, yeah. If, if I so t- I went in, I went in, I did my PFTs today. Oh wow! It was the first time I've done it since October. Um, uh, October when I when I blew uh, since my October PFTs, last had, year, Jer. October last year. year I, I had, oh wow! Yeah, so a, a year ago. Yeah, and you usually do them. You typically I, do them what, every three months. Every, every like, yeah, like five months. Um, and I, in October of last year, I had just, I had just come out of a tune-up. So I was, I had a, I had a, you know, a, a lung infection, went in, um, was on two very strong IV antibiotics for two weeks straight, came out of the hospital. And typically when I, when that happens, I blow a little, I blow, my, my lung function is a little higher than it normally would be because I've literally just like, I've just been juiced up. I've been juiced up like a fucking like superhero, like who just took like if you're watching the boys, I just took I just took a dose of of uh, of what's it called? Uh, 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 V. V. Yeah. So I've got the V pumping through my lungs. Right. (laughs) And I blow I blow higher than I've blown in a couple of years. Last October. That's great. It was, uh, I think my FEV one was like 2.73. So it was like, it was like 60, 63% lung function, okay? I went in today, a year later. Typically, at this point, that far off, uh, the last time I blew, the, the, it's been trending that I'm going much further down. Today, I blew a 63 again, the exact same as I did a year ago today. All right. If I fucking, if I got Trikafta today... Yeah. Dude, that shit would that shit would be you live a full life. Uh, probably, I probably live to a point where I go, okay, I'm kind of done now. Well, that's right. the thing. Um, I've been around a little longer than I want to be. Let's cut this shit. It, it like it would be. It truly would be like fucking massively life altering. It adds but it to, adds nine years to life if you get it as a child. Like if you were diagnosed today with CF, but you had trichafta, you get at least nine years according to the latest Dalhousie study. And that's just it new is, information. Yeah. We haven't had people on it for long mm-hmm. enough. We haven't seen yeah, what the yeah. long-term ability can be. Um, mm-hmm. That's amazing, though. Congrats. The, that's amazing. The, the, it, the crazy it, it's, thing. It's, in, it's fucking infuriating to me to hear you say that it, right now, 
like if I if I if I if I even want a remote a remote chance to getting my hands on Trikafta, I have to wait until my lung function is in the mid twenties. Quality of life is shot. That's fucked. I lost my career. Yeah. I lost. I lost my ability to keep up with my friends. I lost my ability to do my passion, which is exploring the world and traveling. I've lost mm. all of that. Can't fly. You know. It's, mm. the, I can't fly anymore now. Anyway, so who fuck, fuck, fuck it? You know, travel. Travel's the, done for everyone. The, the, <laughs> the, 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 the wild thing is is that like since we started this podcast, Jaren, and we we've been like you know you say like I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna die when I'm. You know, in the next 10 years or when I'm 40 or something like that. Um, Taylor and I have always been like very resistant to that. We're like, no, dude, you're going to live forever. You're definitely going to live forever. And we just, we've kind of been in denial about that. But in in my head, I've always thought there will be a cure and Jeremy will get it. But not, it just needs to happen. It was like, it was like when they find a cure, Jeremy will get access to it. But did you ever think that it would be like where I live, it's an hour and a half from me and you, like you're on Instagram, you see all these people happy, tears, crying. Mm, My life mm-hmm. is saved, and we're just sitting here like, oh, I guess we're suckers, aren't we? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, when yeah, I met when I met you, Jer, I was I remember, I remember, um, I remember in the within the first year of meeting you. Uh, so you were I was twenty, you were twenty two or twenty three, twenty three, and uh, and just turned twenty three. There was there was like some young kid, like some super young kid who was like 15 or 16, some science prodigy, who had discovered something in the realm of CF that they had said at the time could be, they thought could be the foundation for what would provide ultimately um, medications that would um, cure or more yeah. like trichafta, like halt. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. He, he was, he was some, some young nerd that uh, it was a science project <laughs> and he like, he won, he won. And then he was like, I want, I won the high school science project, but yeah, knows, maybe like, I'll win a Pulitzer. Yeah, you fucking might kid. Like that's crazy. <laughs> and I remember thinking to myself, and that was like what the was foundation for my thought around your health. Because every mm. time I, every time I heard you say, you know, my life expectancy is this, or, you know, CF, my lung function is going to decline. I had it in the back of my head. Like I heard that information and all that needs to be done. And and I remember them saying like, and this will probably yield results in about 10 years. And that was 10 years ago. Lo and behold. (laughs) And now we're here with like a medication that can, but the, I have it. I have it right. I have it right here. The thing, the point that I was making though, was was that (laughs) I want to say what it was. This was 2011. A 16 year old from the Toronto area used a supercomputer, a supercomputer (laughs) system to find a new drug, a new drug combination that shows potential in treating the genetic disorder CF, and won top honors for his work. Marshall Zhang, uh, an 11th grade student at Richmond Hills Bayview Secondary School, received first place Tuesday in the 2011 Sanofi Aventus BioTalent Challenge, a contest which students conduct their own research uh, projects with the help of mentors. Um, uh, I want to see. He, so, promise uh, at the mentors lab, Zhang used a Canadian 
SciNet supercomputing network to investigate how two promising new compounds act against the defective protein responsible for the condition. Using computer simulations, he figured out how each of these drugs act against, against the protein and discovered they acted on the same protein in different spots, raising the possibility that they could be used simultaneously without interfering with, with each other. That's exactly what, what Trikafta <laughs> is. Trikafta is three different modulators coming together that aren't fucking with each other and doing like God's work. Yeah. Basically. <laughs> that's crazy. And like you said, Steph, like that's like an hour and a half away from, from where you live and, and people are like, yeah. you know, when they're, when they're, when they're figuring this shit out and then you can't get access well, to it. Well, we were like, looking at moving. Uh, my husband and I, like he had looked at some job offers in New York and I don't know about you, but this was not the year to move to New York. <laughs> so no. thank yeah. God yeah. I got Trikafta. <laughs> The yeah, thing that the thing that I want to come back to extra respiratory disease. No, the point. The point that I wanted to come back to is like I didn't realize that just having a drug like that around, um, just just having like a, a scientist or a team of scientists discover mm. that isn't enough to like get it in the hands of the people who really need it. And the 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 shitty thing is is that there has to be this like great fight for the advocacy rights of of patients to be able to get access to drugs like this and it's mm. like you said it's not just cystic fibrosis like this is oh no this is one of the big fights right now but there's it's, you know it's, a ton of rare diseases that mm-hmm. are in the same position it's just it's a i mean it's an issue that's important to me right now but as i've dug deeper into it we have a giant like i have a giant excel sheet of all these really breakthrough drugs for bladder cancer, breast cancer, mm. epilepsy, all these different diseases that are approved by the FDA but are are just on hold right now until we get these new PMPRB guidelines in because it's a huge question mark. Canada's trying to do something the whole world has never done, uh, which is, you know, it's admirable, but we haven't done it properly. Jeremy, it's mm. like if you're in clinic and they give you all the antibiotics to solve one infection where really we need to try one after another – they're completely rehauling our system instead of doing mm. one thing first, which could be the rare disease strategy that we don't have. So it's mm-hmm. so frustrating. Mm-hmm. Hey, tell us about the, the work that Get Loud is doing and how can people stay up to date? How can people follow along? Yeah, so Get Loud is a group of three CF patients and one CF parent. Um, since when I got my trikafta, uh, the news kind of went viral, and we had a ton of people reaching out saying, well, why did you get it? Why can't I get it, you know? And these guys mm-hmm. said, Steph, um, let's just create an email address, and we're going to help people out. We saw that there's this huge gap of information. People, A lot of people said, oh, what's Trigafta? I'm like, come on, guys. They didn't know what the medicine was. They didn't know about the compassionate care program. Uh, they didn't know what was halting it here in Canada. They didn't know anything about this whole problem. So we wanted, to, we made it our mission to try to educate people and encourage people to raise their voices because anyone can contact their local newspaper, go on a radio station, just say yes to every opportunity. I mean, social media makes a lot possible these days. Get on an Instagram story, say, hey, who can have me on their podcast? I'd like to talk about something important that's going to impact all Canadians. Uh, So Get Loud, we've been working since last fall, so about a year now, and all we do all day, every day, is try to help people gain access. We have meetings with MPs, elected officials, other people doing the same great work. Um, and we just, we volunteer to be on Zoom calls with people if they don't feel like 
they want to have a they want to have a, a Zoom call with their MP, but they don't feel confident enough to get on and state all the facts. Mm. We'll we'll jump on calls with them. Uh, we've done ton, town halls, whatever we can do to like get a lot of people involved and get loud. Yeah. And we even have a junior mm. advocates program where mm-hmm. little kids can make posters. And they do like diagrams and word searches and everything along these big issues, but in a fun way, mm-hmm. like nothing traumatizing mm-hmm. for children. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, we're all volunteers. There's no money involved here. We're not getting paid for anything. But it's like when you try a really tasty food and you tell all your friends, oh, you got to try this. That's drink after for us. And we need mm-hmm. everyone that mm-hmm. um, cares about this, not just the CF community. We're not looking to be our own echo chamber. Like, we want every Canadian to be like, wait a minute. This is incredibly unfair, and we're going to lose 50 to 60 patients in Canada, median age of 30, this year until we get this figured out. You know, people will just die, which is a terrible note to be ending on. (laughs) But But people people know. One one that will make people, hopefully, fucking make people act. Yeah, so you can go to cfgetloud.ca. Uh, also at CF Get Loud on Instagram, and we have a CF Get Loud community on Facebook. Facebook is by far our biggest, uh, you know, just conversation that's happening online. We have right now 4,200 people. Uh, one of the biggest mm-hmm. things we did recently is we, sp- we sent, we got 11,300 families to send a letter to the PMPRB to say, listen, we have CF mm-hmm. and we need this drug and, and our lives our lives are are critical and they're fading without access to medication here in Canada. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Steph, I, I got to say this is this has been. Uh, you know, we rarely do this where, where we will record twice with one person. Oh, thank you. So soon, back to back, and um, and the reason for that is because you know it's like it's it it it's it's hard. It's a hard thing to do to have a conversation about someone's uh, experience with illness and then to kind of repeat that so so soon after. Um, but this, you're just, you're such a, you're such a radiant human. Oh, and, that's a wonderful uh, compliment. I, Thank you. You you really are. And, and I think that your ability to, to speak to the things that are so friggin' important within the community, the, the community, the CF community is uh, something that w- we value very much. And I'm, I'm so glad that not only did we get to have you for our live show, but so, so glad that we got to have you here on the podcast so that. Um, many, many more ears could hear the things that you have to say. Um, folks, do it. Uh, go on social media, follow Get Loud, uh, you know, make some noise alongside Steph and us, and let's try to, let's try to change, change what's going on in this country because uh, Trikafta is, is life-changing, not only for the people who live with CF, but for all of the people who know someone who's living with CF, which is no small amount of folks uh steph you are fucking awesome thank you so much for having me i want to say thank you yeah thank you for coming on this was really fun i've had a great time thank you so much folks that was our conversation with steph and uh what a oh my god what a what a she's the best lovely human right she's wonderful yeah, mm-hmm. she's wonderful. Yeah. And so and so tuned in and and especially on the Tricafta stuff, just like you know, somebody who kind of is in the know, knows what's going on. Uh, it's refreshing, eh? Because I, yeah. I don't know a goddamn thing. Yeah, I mean, like, hanging out with you <laughs> is like, I'm di- my intelligence is dying oh. bit by bit. Every also, day. her story, just in general, is it's fucking so wild. crazy. Yeah, I know, yeah, I know. Wonderful. 
Uh, always a pleasure to have her on. I can tell you right now, she, it, this won't be the last time uh, we're going to hear from Steph in the future. Uh, but in the meantime... <clears throat> Um, we, we're, we're coming at you every, every Monday, every Friday, uh, you know, Mondays with conversations like this one that we just had and every Friday with a little, little real talk, feel good Friday, laughter, silliness and, and smarts. Um, and if that's not enough for you, you can go over to Instagram or follow us on Twitter or, uh, like all those old folks get on the Facebooks, uh, at sick boy podcast is where you can find us. And we'd love to, uh, hear from you in the comments sections, um, or watch, uh, little dialogues happening underneath posts. Mm-hmm. So go on over there and chime in. Yeah. Comment sections are the best. Um, if you have any questions or comments or in light of this episode specifically, like any information, that you think is pertinent to share with us about Trikafta or people that we should be talking to, um, introductions that need to be made. You know, I want every, I mean, I'm, I'm selfish. I want Jeremy to get Trikafta first and foremost because he's my BF, but uh, I want yeah, everybody to boyfriend. get Trikafta. Yeah, damn right, I'm your boyfriend. And he's my best, bo- my, be- my boyfriend, BFF. <laughs> And I want him to get Trikafta, but I also want everybody out there with CF uh, to get Trikafta, seeing you know Jeremy struggle with it and the people that we've talked to in the show. I want them to get access to it um, if it's a medication that works for them. So if you have any uh, information on that, then please, sickboypodcast.com slash contact. Um, and if you want to uh, be on the show, uh, sickboypodcast.com slash contact. That's how you apply to be on the show if you want to be a guest. And uh, if you've got any cool stories, um, we love hearing from you. A lot of people we don't have the opportunity to have on the show, but there's a lot of amazing stories out there, um, how you're dealing with your illness, how uh, maybe listening to the show has has changed the way that you perceive or live with your illness. It's some really common stuff that we love to hear, Um, and we might just read it on the show. You can send us an email directly to letters at sickboypodcast.com. All right. And as always, today's show was produced by Lauren Sankey. Jeremy Saunders, Taylor McGilvery, and myself, Brian Stever. Our uh, manager that makes this shit all stay together is Jeff Lonis. And the one and only sound designer is Donovan, the CPAP Daddy Morgan. And uh, mm. thanks daddy, to daddy, those daddy. guys. Thanks to Take Part for the theme music. And that's all I got. That is it for this week. My name is Brian. My name is Daddy Tay. My name is Jer Bear, Dare Dare Bear Bear, and Jessica Bear Bear. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.